Thanks for listening tonight. If you'd like to listen ad-free and get access to exclusive bonus episodes, then check out the Sleepy Bookshelf premium feed in the show notes. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm Elizabeth, your host, and I'm so glad to have you here with me. This evening, we'll be continuing with Anne of Green Gables, but before we dive back into our book, let's put the day behind us. Take a deep breath, collecting any worries or concerns, and exhale them out, sending them far, far away. Once more now, inhale, and exhale, letting everything go. If any thoughts are lingering in your mind, I encourage you to continue this collect and release breath. You can repeat it as many times as you like while we continue with our story this evening. In our last episode, Mrs. Rachel Lind came to visit Green Gables for the first time since Anne had arrived. Upon meeting her in her usual straightforward manner, Mrs. Lind exclaimed at Anne's red hair and altogether homely looks. Anne flew into a temper at the guest, insisting she would also be upset if someone pointed out how overweight she was. Mrs. Lind left appalled at the interview. Marilla went to Anne's room and told her that as punishment for letting her temper get the better of her, she must apologize to Mrs. Lind. Anne refused, and so Marilla left her in her room until she changed her mind. Anne stayed in her room, unmoved for a whole day, until Matthew snuck in to speak to her. He convinced Anne to make the apology for his sake, to restore peace in the house, and Anne agreed. Marilla took Anne to Mrs. Lynde's house that very afternoon, and Anne gave a very exaggerated apology, which was accepted in good faith. This evening, we meet Anne and Marilla in her room at Green Gables, looking over Anne's new wardrobe. So just lie back and relax as I turn to the next pages of Anne of Green Gables. Chapter 11 Anne's Impressions of Sunday School Well, how do you like them? said Marilla. Anne was standing in the gable room looking solemnly at three new dresses spread out on the bed. 
One was of snuffy-colored gingham, which Marilla had been tempted to buy from a peddler the preceding summer because it looked so serviceable. One was of black and white checkered sateen, which she had picked up at a bargain counter in the winter, and one was a stiff print of an ugly blue shade which she had purchased that week at a Carmody store. She had made them up herself, and they were all made alike. Plain skirts, fulled tightly to plain waists, with sleeves as plain as waist and skirt and tight as sleeves could be. I'll imagine that I like them, said Anne soberly. I don't want you to imagine it, said Marilla, offended. Oh, I can see you don't like the dresses. What's the matter with them? Aren't they neat and clean and new? Yes, Anne replied. Then why don't you like them? Marilla asked. They're not pretty, said Anne reluctantly. Pretty? Marilla sniffed. I didn't trouble my head about getting pretty dresses for you. I don't believe in pampering vanity, Anne. I'll tell you that right off. Those dresses are good, sensible, serviceable dresses, without any frills or furbelows about them. And they're all you'll get this summer. The brown gingham and the blueprint one will do you for school when you begin to go. The sateen is for church and Sunday school. I'll expect you to keep them neat and clean and not to tear them. I should think you'd be grateful to get most anything after those skimpy, wincy things you've been wearing. Oh, I am grateful, protested Anne. I'd be ever so much more grateful if if you'd just make me one of them with puffed sleeves puffed sleeves are so fashionable now it would give me such a thrill Marilla just to wear a dress with puffed sleeves well you'll have to do without your thrill said Marilla I hadn't any material to waste on puffed sleeves I think they're ridiculous-looking things anyhow. I prefer the plain, sensible ones. But I'd rather look ridiculous when everybody else does than plain and sensible all my life, persisted Anne mournfully. Trust you for that. Well, hang those dresses carefully up in your closet and then sit down and learn the Sunday school lesson. I got a quarterly from Mr. Bell for you, and you'll go to Sunday school tomorrow, said Marilla, disappearing downstairs in high dudgeon. Anne clasped her hands and looked at the dresses. I did hope there would be a white one with puffed sleeves, she whispered disconsolately. I prayed for one, but I didn't much expect it on that account. I didn't suppose God would have time to bother about a little orphan girl's dress. I knew I'd just have to depend on Marilla for it. Well, 
Fortunately, I can imagine that one of them is of snow-white muslin with lovely lace frills and three puffed sleeves. The next morning, warnings of a sick headache prevented Marilla from going to Sunday school with Anne. You'll have to go down and call for Mrs. Lynde, Anne, she said. She'll see that you get into the right class. Now, mind you behave yourself properly. Stay to preaching afterwards and ask Mrs. Lynde to show you our pew. Here's a cent for collection. Don't stare at people and don't fidget. I shall expect you to tell me the text when you come home. Anne started off irreproachable, arrayed in the stiff black and white sateen, which, while decent as regards to length, and certainly not open to the charge of skimpiness, contrived to emphasize every corner and angle of her thin figure. Her hat was a little, flat, glossy new sailor, the extreme plainness of which had likewise disappointed Anne, who had permitted herself secret visions of ribbon and flowers. The latter, however, was supplied before Anne reached the main road, for being confronted halfway down the lane with a golden frenzy of wind-stirred buttercups and a glory of wild roses, Anne promptly and liberally garlanded her hat with a heavy wreath of them. Whatever other people might have thought of the result, it satisfied Anne, and she tripped happily down the road holding her ruddy head with its decoration of pink and yellow very proudly. When she had reached Mrs. Lynde's house, she found that the lady had gone. Nothing daunted, Anne proceeded onward to the church alone. In the porch, she found a crowd of little girls all more or less cheerfully attired in whites and blues and pinks, and all staring with curious eyes at this stranger in their midst, with her extraordinary head adornment. Avonlea little girls had already heard stories about Anne. Mrs. Lynde said she had an awful temper. Jerry Boat, the hired boy at Green Gables, said she talked all the time to herself or to the trees and flowers like a crazy girl. They looked at her and whispered to each other behind their quarterlies. Nobody made any friendly advances. Then, or later on, when the opening exercises were over and Anne found herself in Miss Rogerson's class, Miss Rogerson was a middle-aged lady who had taught Sunday school for twenty years. Her method of teaching was to ask the printed questions from the quarterly and look sternly over its edge at the particular little girl she thought ought to answer the question. She looked very often at Anne, and Anne, thanks to Marilla's drilling, answered promptly. 
but it may be questioned if she understood very much about either question or answer. She did not think she liked Miss Rogerson, and she felt very miserable. Every other little girl in the class had puffed sleeves, and felt that life was really not worth living without puffed sleeves. Well, how did you like Sunday school? Marilla wanted to know when Anne came home, her wreath having faded. Anne had discarded it in the lane, so Marilla was spared the knowledge of that for a time. I didn't like it a bit. It was horrid, she said. Anne Shirley, said Marilla rebukingly. Anne sat down on the rocker with a long sigh, kissed one of Bonnie's leaves, and waved her hand to a blossoming fuchsia. They might have been lonesome while I was away, she explained. And now about the Sunday school. I behaved well, just as you told me. Mrs. Lynde was gone, but I went right on myself. I went into the church with a lot of other little girls, and I sat in the corner of a pew by the window while the opening exercises went on. Mr. Bell made an awfully long prayer. I would have been dreadfully tired before he got through if I hadn't been sitting by that window, but it looked right out onto the lake of shining waters, so I just gazed at that and imagined all sorts of splendid things. You shouldn't have done anything of the sort, said Marilla. You should have listened to Mr. Bell. But he wasn't talking to me, protested Anne. He was talking to God. He didn't seem to be very much interested in it either. I think he thought God was too far off, though. There was a long row of white birches hanging over the lake, and the sunshine fell down through them, way, way down, deep into the water. Oh, Marilla, it was like a beautiful dream. It gave me a thrill and I just said, thank you for it, God, two or three times. Not out loud, I hope, said Marilla anxiously. Oh no, just under my breath, said Anne. Well, Mr. Bell did get through at last and they told me to go to the classroom with Miss Rogerson's class. There were nine other girls in it. They all had puffed sleeves. I tried to imagine mine were puffed too, but I couldn't. Why couldn't I? It was as easy as could be to imagine they were puffed when I was alone in the East Gable, but it was awfully hard there among the others who had really, truly puffs. You shouldn't be thinking about your sleeves in Sunday school. You should have been attending to the lesson. I hope you knew it, said Marilla. Oh, yes, Anne assured her. And I answered a lot of questions. Miss Rogerson asked ever so many. I don't think it was fair for her to do all the asking. There were lots I wanted to ask her, but I didn't like to because I didn't think she was a kindred spirit. 
Then, all the other girls recited a paraphrase. She asked me if I knew any. I told her I didn't, but I could recite The Dog at His Master's Grave if she liked. That's in the third royal reader. It isn't a really, truly religious piece of poetry, but it's so sad and melancholy that it might as well be. She said it wouldn't do, and she told me to learn the 19th paraphrase for next Sunday. I read it over in church afterwards, and it's splendid. There are two lines in particular that just thrill me. Quick as the slaughtered squadrons fell in Midian's evil day. I don't know what squadrons means, nor Midian either, but it sounds so tragical. I can hardly wait until next Sunday to recite it. I'll practice it all week. After Sunday school, I asked Miss Rogerson, because Mrs. Lynde was too far away, to show me your pew. I sat just as still as I could, and the text was Revelations, third chapter, second and third verses. It was a very long text. If I was a minister, I'd pick the short, snappy ones. The sermon was awfully long, too. I suppose the minister had to match it to the text. I didn't think he was a bit interesting. The trouble with him seems to be that he hasn't enough imagination. I didn't listen to him very much. I just let my thoughts run and I thought of the most surprising things. Marilla felt helplessly that all this should be sternly reproved. But she was hampered by the undeniable fact that some of the things Anne had said, especially about the minister's sermons and Mr. Bell's prayers, were what she herself had really thought deep down in her heart for years, but had never given expression to. It almost seemed to her that those secret, unuttered, critical thoughts had suddenly taken visible and accusing shape and form in the person of this outspoken morsel of neglected humanity. Chapter 12 A Solemn Vow and Promise It was not until the next Friday that Marilla heard the story of the flower-wreathed hat. She came home from Mrs. Lynn's and called Anne to account. Anne, Mrs. Rachel says you went to church last Sunday with your hat, rigged out ridiculously with roses and buttercups. What on earth put you up to such a caper? A pretty-looking object you must have been. Oh, I know, pink and yellow aren't becoming to me, began Anne. Marilla interjected. Becoming fiddlesticks. It was putting flowers on your hat at all, no matter what color they were that was ridiculous. You are the most aggravating child. I don't see why it's any more ridiculous to wear flowers on your hat than on your dress, protested Anne. 
Lots of little girls there had bouquets pinned on their dresses. What's the difference? Marilla was not to be drawn from the safe concrete into dubious paths of the abstract. Don't answer me back like that, Anne. It was very silly of you to do such a thing. Never let me catch you at such a trick again. Mrs. Rachel says she thought she would sink through the floor when she saw you come in all rigged out like that. She couldn't get near enough to tell you to take them off till it was too late. She says people talked about it, something dreadful. Of course, they would think I had no better sense than to let you go decked out like that. Oh, I'm so sorry, said Anne, tears welling into her eyes. I never thought you'd mind. The roses and buttercups were so sweet and pretty. I thought they'd look lovely on my hat. Lots of little girls had artificial flowers on their hats. I'm afraid I'm going to be a dreadful trial to you. Maybe you'd better send me back to the asylum. That would be terrible. I don't think I could endure it. Most likely I would go into consumption. I'm so thin as it is, you see. But that would be better than being a trial to you. Nonsense, said Marilla, vexed at herself for having made the child cry. I don't want to send you back to the asylum, I'm sure. All I want is that you should behave like other little girls and not make yourself ridiculous. Don't cry anymore. I've got some news for you. Diana Barry came home this afternoon. I'm going up to see if I can borrow a skirt pattern from Mrs. Barry. If you like, you can come with me and get acquainted with Diana. Anne rose to her feet with clasped hands, the tears still glistening on her cheeks. The dish towel she had been hemming slipped unheeded to the floor. Oh, Marilla, I'm frightened. Now that it has come, I'm actually frightened. What if she shouldn't like me? It would be the most tragical disappointment of my life. Now don't get into a fluster, said Marilla, and I do wish you wouldn't use such long words. Sounds so funny in a little girl. I guess Diana will like you well enough. It's her mother you've got to reckon with. If she doesn't like you, it won't matter how much Diana does. If she has heard about your outburst to Mrs. Lynde and going to church with buttercups round your hat, I don't know what she'll think of you. You must be polite and well-behaved and don't make any of your startling speeches. For pity's sake, if the child isn't actually trembling... Anne was trembling. Her face was pale and tense. Oh, Marilla, you'd be excited too if you were going to meet a little girl you hoped would be your bosom friend and whose mother mightn't like you, she said as she hastened to get her hat. They went over to Orchard Slope by the shortcut across the brook and up the Firry Hill Grove. Mrs. Barry came to the kitchen door in answer to Marilla's knock. 
she was a tall, black-eyed, black-haired woman with a very resolute mouth. She had the reputation of being very strict with her children. How do you do, Marilla? She said cordially. Come in. This is the little girl you have adopted, I suppose? Yes, this is Anne Shirley, said Marilla. Spelled with an E, said Anne, who, tremulous and excited as she was, was determined there should be no misunderstanding on that important point. Mrs. Barry, not hearing or comprehending, merely shook hands and said kindly, How are you? I am well in body, although considerably rumpled up in spirit, thank you, ma'am, said Anne gravely. Then, aside to Marilla in an audible whisper, There wasn't anything startling in that, was there, Marilla? Diana was sitting on the sofa, reading a book which she dropped when the callers entered. She was a very pretty little girl, with her mother's black eyes and hair, and rosy cheeks, and the merry expression which was her inheritance from her father. This is my little girl, Diana, said Mrs. Barry. Diana, you may take Anne out into the garden and show her your flowers. It will be better for you than straining your eyes over that book. She reads entirely too much. This was said to Marilla as the little girls went out. And I can't prevent her, for her father aids and abets her. She's always poring over a book. I'm glad she has a prospect of a playmate. Perhaps it will take her more out of doors. Outside in the garden, which was full of mellow sunset light, streaming through the dark old firs to the west of it, stood Anne and Diana, gazing bashfully at each other over a clump of gorgeous tiger lilies. The Barry Garden was a bowery wilderness of flowers, which would have delighted Anne's heart at any time less fraught with destiny It was encircled by huge old willows and tall firs, beneath which flourished flowers that loved the shade. Prim, right-angled paths, neatly bordered with clamshells, intersected it like moist red ribbons. And in the beds between, old-fashioned flowers ran riot, There were rosy, bleeding hearts and great, splendid crimson peonies, white, fragrant narcissi and thorny, sweet scotch roses, pink and blue and white columbines and lilac-tinted bouncing bets, clumps of southern wood and ribbon grass and mint, purple Adam and Eve daffodils, and masses of sweet clover, white with its delicate, fragrant, feathery sprays, scarlet lightning that shot its fiery lances over prim, white musk flowers. 
A garden it was, where sunshine lingered, and bees hummed, and winds, beguiled into loitering, purred and rustled. Oh, Diana, said Anne at last, clasping her hands and speaking almost in a whisper. Oh, do you think you can like me a little, enough to be my bosom friend? Diana laughed. Diana always laughed before she spoke. Why, I guess so, she said frankly. I'm awfully glad you've come to live at Green Gables. It will be jolly to have somebody to play with. There isn't any other girl who lives near enough to play with, and I've no sisters big enough. Will you swear to be my friend forever and ever? demanded Anne eagerly. Diana looked shocked. Why, it's dreadfully wicked to swear, she said rebukingly. Oh no, that's not my kind of swearing, said Anne. There are two kinds, you know. I never heard of but one kind, said Diana doubtingly. There really is another said Anne. Oh, it isn't wicked at all. It just means bowing and promising solemnly. Well, I don't mind doing that, agreed Diana, relieved. How do you do it? We must join hands, said Anne gravely. It ought to be over running water. We'll just imagine this path is running water. I'll repeat the oath first. I solemnly swear to be faithful to my bosom friend, Diana Barry, as long as the sun and moon shall endure. Now you say it and put my name in it. Diana repeated the oath with a laugh fore and aft. Then she said, You're a strange girl, Anne. I heard before that you were strange, but I believe I'm going to like you really well. When Marilla and Anne went home, Diana went with them as far as the log bridge. The two little girls walked with their arms about each other. At the brook, they parted with many promises to spend the next afternoon together. Well... Did you find Diana a kindred spirit? Asked Marilla as they went up through the Garden of Green Gables. Oh, yes, sighed Anne, blissfully unconscious of any sarcasm on Marilla's part. Oh, Marilla, I'm the happiest girl on Prince Edward Island this very moment. I assure you, I'll say my prayers with a right good will tonight. Diana and I are going to build a playhouse in Mr. William Bell's birch grove tomorrow. Can I have those broken pieces of china that are out in the woodshed? Diana's birthday is in February, and mine is in March. Don't you think that's a very strange coincidence? Diana is going to lend me a book to read. She said it's perfectly splendid 
and tremendously exciting. She's going to show me a place back in the woods where rice lilies grow. Don't you think Diana has got very soulful eyes? I wish I had soulful eyes. Diana is going to teach me to sing a song called Nellie in the Hazel Dell. She's going to give me a picture to put up in my room. It's a perfectly beautiful picture, she says. A lovely lady in a pale blue silk dress. A sewing machine agent gave it to her. I wish I had something to give Diana. I'm an inch taller than Diana, but she is ever so much fatter. She said she'd like to be thin because it's so much more graceful, but I'm afraid she only said it to soothe my feelings. We're going to go to the shore someday to gather shells. We have agreed to call the spring down by the log bridge the Dryad's Bubble. Isn't that a perfectly elegant name? I read a story once about a spring called that. A dryad is a sort of grown-up fairy, I think. Well, all I hope is you won't talk Diana to death, said Marilla. But remember this in all your planning, Anne. You're not going to play all the time, nor most of it. You'll have your work to do and it'll have to be done first. Anne's cup of happiness was full and Matthew caused it to overflow. He had just got home from a trip to the store at Carmody and he sheepishly produced a small parcel from his pocket and handed it to Anne with a deprecatory look at Marilla. I heard you said you like chocolate sweeties so I got you some, he said. Marilla sniffed. It'll ruin her teeth and stomach. There, there, child, don't look so dismal. You can eat those since Matthew has gone and got them. Better have brought you peppermints. They're wholesomer. Don't sicken yourself eating them all at once now. Oh no, indeed I won't, said Anne eagerly. I'll just eat one tonight, Marilla, and I can give Diana half of them, can't I? The other half will taste twice as sweet to me if I give some to her. It's delightful to think I have something to give her. I will say it for the child, said Marilla when Anne had gone to her gable. She isn't stingy, I'm glad for all her faults I detest stinginess in a child. Dear me, it's only three weeks since she came. It seems as if she's been here always. Can't imagine the place without her. Now don't be looking so I told you so, Matthew. I'm perfectly willing to own up that I'm glad I consented to keep the child, that I'm getting fond of her. Don't you rub it in, Matthew Cuthbert. Chapter 13 The Delights of Anticipation It's time Anne was in to do her sewing, said Marilla, glancing at the clock 
and then out into the yellow August afternoon where everything was drowsed in the heat. She stayed playing with Diana more than half an hour more than I gave her leave to, and now she's perched out there on the woodpile talking to Matthew, 19 to the dozen, when she knows perfectly well she ought to be at her work. And of course, he's listening to her like a perfect ninny. I never saw such an infatuated man. The more she talks, and the odder the things she says, the more he's delighted, evidently. And Shirley, you come right in here this minute, do you hear me? A series of staccato taps on the west window brought Anne flying in from the yard, eyes shining, cheeks faintly flushed with pink, unbraided hair streaming behind her in the torrent of brightness. Oh, Marilla, she said breathlessly, there's going to be a Sunday school picnic next week in Mr. Harmon Andrews' field, right near the Lake of Shining Waters, and Mrs. Superintendent Bell and Mrs. Rachel Lind are going to make ice cream. Think of it, Marilla. Ice cream. Oh, Marilla, can I go to it? Just look at the clock, if you please, Anne, said Marilla. What time did I tell you to come in? Two o'clock. But isn't it splendid about the picnic, Marilla? Please, can I go? Oh, I've never been to a picnic. I've dreamed of picnics. Marilla interjected. Yes, I told you to come in at two o'clock, and it's quarter to three. I'd like to know why you didn't obey me, Anne. Why I meant to, Marilla, as much as could be. But you have no idea how fascinating Idlewild is. And then, of course, I had to tell Matthew about the picnic. Matthew is such a sympathetic listener. Please, can I go? She asked. You'll have to learn to resist the fascination of idle whatever you call it, said Marilla. When I tell you to come in at a certain time, I mean that time, and not half an hour later. And you needn't stop to discourse with sympathetic listeners on your way either. As for the picnic, of course you can go. You're a Sunday school scholar. It's not likely I'd refuse to let you go when all the other little girls are going. But, faltered Anne, Diana says that everybody must take a basket of things to eat. I can't cook, as you know, Marilla, and I don't mind going to a picnic without puffed sleeves so much, but I'd feel terribly humiliated if I had to go without a basket. It's been preying on my mind ever since Diana told me. Well, it needn't pray any longer, said Marilla. I'll bake you a basket. Oh, you dear, good Marilla. Oh, you are so kind to me. Oh, I'm so much obliged to you. And getting through with her O's, Anne cast herself into Marilla's arms 
and rapturously kissed her sallow cheek. It was the first time in her whole life that childish lips had touched Marilla's face. Again, that sudden sensation of startling sweetness thrilled her. She was secretly vastly pleased at Anne's impulsive caress, which was probably the reason why she said brusquely, There, there, never mind your kissing nonsense. I'd sooner see you doing strictly as you're told. As for cooking, I mean to begin giving you lessons in that some of these days. But you're so feather-brained, Anne. I've been waiting to see if you'd sober down a little and learn to be steady before I begin. You've got to keep your wits about you in cooking and not stop in the middle of things and let your thoughts rove all over creation. Now, get out your patchwork and have your square done before tea time. I do not like patchwork, said Anne dolefully hunting out her work basket and sitting down before a little heap of red and white diamonds with a sigh. I think some kinds of sewing would be nice, but there's no scope for imagination in patchwork. It's just one little seam after another, and you never seem to be getting anywhere. But, of course, I'd rather be Anne of Green Gables sewing patchwork than Anne of any other place with nothing to do but play. I wish time went as quick sewing patches as it does when I'm playing with Diana, though. Oh, we do have such elegant times, Marilla. I have to furnish most of the imagination, but I'm well able to do that. Diana is simply perfect in every other way. You know that little piece of land across the brook that runs up between our farm and Mr. Barry's? It belongs to Mr. William Bell, and right in the corner there is a little ring of white birch trees, the most romantic spot, Marilla. Diana and I have our playhouse there. We call it Idlewild. Isn't that a poetical name? I assure you it took me some time to think it out. I stayed awake nearly a whole night before I invented it. Then, just as I was dropping off to sleep, it came to me like an inspiration. Diana was enraptured when she heard it. We've got our house fixed up elegantly. You must come and see it, Marilla, won't you? We have great big stones, all covered with moss, for seats, and boards from tree to tree for our shelves. And we have all our dishes on them. Of course, they're all broken, but it's the easiest thing in the world to imagine they are home. There's a piece of a plate with a spray of red and yellow ivy on it that's especially beautiful. We keep it in the parlour. And we have the fairy glass there, too. The fairy glass is as lovely as a dream. Diana found it out in the woods behind their chicken house. It's all full of rainbows. Just little young rainbows that haven't grown big yet. 
and Diana's mother told her it was broken off a hanging lamp they once had. But it's nice to imagine the fairies lost it one night when they had a ball, so we call it the fairy glass. Matthew's going to make us a table. Oh, we have named that little round pool over in Mr. Barry's wild field, Willowmere. I got that name out of the book Diana lent me. That was a thrilling book, Marilla. The heroine had five lovers. I'd be satisfied with one, wouldn't you? She was very handsome, and she went through great tribulations. She could faint as easy as anything. I'd love to be able to faint, wouldn't you, Marilla? It's so romantic. But I'm really very healthy for all I'm so thin. I believe I'm getting fatter, though. Don't you think I am? I look at my elbows every morning when I get up to see if any dimples are coming. Diana is having a new dress made with elbow sleeves. She's going to wear it to the picnic. Oh, I do hope it will be fine next Wednesday. I don't feel that I could endure the disappointment if anything happened to prevent me from getting to the picnic. I suppose I'd live through it, but I'm certain it would be a lifelong sorrow. It wouldn't matter if I got to a hundred picnics in after years. They wouldn't make up for missing this one. They're going to have boats on the lake of shining waters and ice cream, as I told you. I have never tasted ice cream. Diana tried to explain what it was like, but I guess ice cream is one of those things that are beyond imagination. Anne, you have talked on for ten minutes by the clock, said Marilla. Now, just for curiosity's sake, see if you can hold your tongue for the same length of time. Anne held her tongue as desired, but for the rest of the week, she talked picnic and thought picnic and dreamed picnic. On Saturday, it rained, and she worked herself up into such a frantic state, lest it should keep raining on until and over Wednesday, that Marilla made her sew an extra patchwork square by way of steadying her nerves. On Sunday, Anne confided to Marilla on the way home from church that she grew actually cold all over with excitement when the minister announced the picnic from the pulpit. Such a thrill as went up and down my back, Marilla, said Anne. I don't think I ever really believed until then that there was honestly going to be a picnic. I couldn't help fearing I'd only imagined it. But when a minister says a thing in the pulpit, you just have to believe it. You set your heart too much on things, Anne, said Marilla with a sigh. I'm afraid there'll be great many disappointments in store for you through life. Oh, Marilla, looking forward to things is half the pleasure of them, said Anne. You may not get the things themselves, 
but nothing can prevent you from having the fun of looking forward to them. Mrs. Lynde says, Blessed are they who expect nothing, for they shall not be disappointed. But I think it would be worse to expect nothing than to be disappointed. Marilla wore her amethyst brooch to church that day as usual. Marilla always wore her amethyst brooch to church. She would have thought it rather sacrilegious to leave it off, as bad as forgetting her Bible or her collection dime. The amethyst brooch was Marilla's most treasured possession. A seafaring uncle had given it to her mother, who had in turn bequeathed it to Marilla. It was an old-fashioned oval containing a braid of her mother's hair, surrounded by a border of very fine amethysts. Marilla knew too little about precious stones to realize how fine the amethysts actually were, but she thought them very beautiful and was always pleasantly conscious of their violet shimmer at her throat above her good brown satin dress, even though she could not see it. Anne had been smitten with delighted admiration when she first saw that brooch. Oh, Marilla, it's a perfectly elegant brooch, she said. I don't know how you can pay attention to the sermon or the prayers when you have it on. I couldn't, I know. I think amethysts are just sweet. They're what I used to think diamonds were like. Long ago, before I had ever seen a diamond, I read about them and tried to imagine what they would be. I thought they would be lovely, glimmering purple stones. When I saw a real diamond in a lady's ring one day, I was so disappointed I cried. Of course, it was very lovely, but it wasn't my idea of a diamond. Will you let me hold the brooch for one minute, Marilla? Do you think amethysts can be the souls of good violets? Thank you.